Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, Mark and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor. It's Hulu Plus. I'm sure you've tried Hulu.com, but let me tell you about Hulu Plus. It's an amazing, my favorite word, way to binge watch all your favorite TV shows. Yeah, I've actually been using the Hulu Plus iPhone app quite a bit, and earlier today I was even checking out an old episode of South Park. Cool. I love that Hulu Plus has every single South Park episode ever. Yeah, me too. The episode I was watching is the one where Cartman goes down to like this hippy-dippy rock concert festival they're having, and he... He puts a Slayer CD on over the uh, PA system. It's I think the episode's called Die, Hippie, Die. It's definitely up on Hulu Plus, so check it out. That's hilarious. I'm definitely going to check that out tonight on Hulu Plus. I also saw that they have every X-Files episode, which you guys know is one of my favorite TV shows. I can't wait to check out those old episodes. Totally. And they have one of my favorite shows, Battlestar Galactica. We're actually going to have links up to a photo gallery in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com of the band Anthrax hanging out on the set of Battlestar up in Vancouver from a number of years back. Battlestar Galactica is Scott Ian's favorite show of all time. I know that for a fact. Hulu Plus is only $7.99 a month. That's $7.99 for all the shows and movies you can watch. Catch up on current shows, binge on old favorites, or catch a great movie. You can do it all on Hulu Plus. They have tons of content. Yeah, it's totally insane how much stuff they have. Right now, you can try out Hulu Plus for a couple of weeks for free on us when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash metal or when you go to talkingmetal.com and click on the hulu plus banner guys we really need your support on this so visit talkingmetal.com and click through the hulu plus banner or just visit huluplus.com slash metal that's huluplus.com forward slash metal now let's get into today's episode with special guest bruce bouillet who shares some of his great stories on racer x the scream kiss motorhead and more and don't forget to check out our brand new TalkingMetal.com website. We've got new content up every day. You guys are going to love it. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hi, this is Bruce Bouillet, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. We are here with John and Lynn. 
Yeah. Hey, Mark. We are at Smith's Great Bar in New York City, 8th Avenue and 44th Street. And uh, Lynn, my girlfriend, is here. Say hello, Lynn. Hi, everybody. We have a great episode for you. This episode is going to feature an interview Mark conducted with Bruce Brouillet. And uh, I've known about Bruce since back in the Racer X days, and he's done a lot of stuff. And one to dimension, I always got to tie it into Ace, he played on a, tri- a salute to Ace Frehley spacewalk, and he did New York Groove. All right, let's get into a little Bruce Bouillet right now. This is Heart of a Lion by Racer X. Heart of a Lion by Racer X from the 1987 Second Heat album featuring Jeff Martin on vocals. Jeff Martin, great, talented musician. Of course, the drummer on that is Scott Travis, who went on to be in Judas Priest. And that song was kind of a priest song, which in 1987 no one had heard. Um, Halford, I guess, gave it to Racer X. And later on, Priest, I believe, recorded a version of it when they were recording Turbo. It didn't end up on the Turbo record, but they did record it, I'm told. And also Halford released a version of that with Metal Mike and, I believe, Roy Z on guitar. You know what? It's so funny, Scott Travis. I I don't know if you remember this, and I probably edited it out of the podcast, but 
when we were out at Rock Honors when Judas Priest was there, um, I go, it's John from Talking Metal. And he thought I said cocking metal. <laughs> and he goes, what was that show, cocking? Like, it's, like, he thought it was some, like, sexual thing. I said, no, talking metal. Like, it was, but he's a really cool guy. It was funny. But. Cool. Let's get into a little more Bruce Bouillet right now. This is The Scream with Outlaw from 1991. What you just heard was Bruce Bouillet with his band The Scream back in 1991, Outlaw. Great stuff. John Karabi was also in that band. He was on the on vocals there. We're going to talk to Bruce all about everything in just a second here. Visit his site at brucebouillet.net. We'll have that link through the show notes. You know, it's funny. I don't know how this happened, but I got like a little like email message from John Karabi, and it said... You know, like when somebody tries to request somebody on their Facebook page and they have too many friends, it's probably an automatic, automated thing, but he said, um, sorry, I've already reached the limit of friends, but I also have a like page, so it'd be totally cool if you can go and like the page, and then it said crabby, like on the bottom. That's funny. Bruce has a new record coming out, guys. It's called The Order of Control. Definitely show Bruce some love. Go buy a CD copy of it on brucebouillet.net. And it's not out yet, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, in August of 2013. It's not 
currently out, but it's going to be out next month or in a few weeks. Bruce is going to tell us all about when it's coming out in the interview that's coming up. And let's get into another Racer X classic, and then we'll hear from Bruce. This is Paul Gilbert and Bruce Bouillet on guitar. Of course, Scott Travis on drums. It is the instrumental off of that second Racer X record from 1987, Scarified. And then we'll hear from Bruce Bouillet coming up in just a minute. Hey, it's Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and we are honored because on the line, Bruce Bouillet is checking in with us today. Bruce, how are you? Great. Great to be here on Talking Metal. It is great to talk to you. I've been a longtime fan going way back to that second Racer X record, second heat, of course, which we will talk about. But first, let's talk about what you're up to now. There is a great new record out, well, or about to come out, I guess, called The Order of Control. When is that actually due to hit shelves and online outlets? I uh, just recently got um, signed to Mascot Records, and um, they are pressing at the moment. So um, they have promised me within the next month, month and a half, it should be hitting the stores. Very cool. I've heard some of the tracks, and they sound excellent. Let's talk about who's playing on this record with you. Great. Um, well, myself, I, I, I handle the uh, guitar chores, and um, I have drummer extraordinaire Glenn Sobel, who um, some of you may know, he, he has been out touring with Alice Cooper recently. And then my uh, my buddy Dave Foreman uh, is a bass player, who actually is a guitar player also by trade, but, but plays amazing bass, and he's sort of an L.A. legend in the studio scene as well as the live touring scene. Cool, cool. And what differentiates this record from some of your other solo releases that you've done, like Unspoken and uh, Interventions? Well, this album, actually, um, A, I, I hired more of a band and, and kind of rehearsed with a band and, and, and was able to go in the studio and, and spend a little more time with it. Um, but as far as, as making it different from my other albums, this one had a message and sort of a, a theme that goes through the whole thing. It's um, the order of control is about um, 
people in society that look like you and I could be your neighbors, friends, coworkers, but they have powers to read your thoughts and memories and manipulate emotions or place ideas or visuals in your mind. And they sort of manipulate and use humanity for their own agenda. So if you go through the album, you'll see that the titles kind of coincide and there's some small little messages and hints hidden in there also. Cool. Excellent. So would you call it kind of a concept record? Um, it definitely it definitely has that thread going through it, and Volume 2 will get a little bit more detailed, which is already coming together well, and, and I'm already starting to look at, at times to go and start tracking some of it. So oh, wow. It, it's sort of an ongoing theme, and uh, I would say that probably the other biggest thing that makes it different from the rest of my albums is I've kind of returned to more of my metal roots that I started with. And um, the albums are getting more progressive and, and heavier as they go. So volume two will even be a, a, a bigger, a bigger, more more helping of metal coming your way. It's interesting that you say that because I've spoken with a number of people lately on on talking metal, and it's sometimes uh, Vivian Campbell, for example, was on recently, and he. After so many years of basically saying, oh, the stuff I did with Dio, I don't even like that stuff. I don't listen to it. I, I sincerely believe he's embraced it again, and he actually loves it once again. And and some people have accused him of trying to cash in on stuff. But I actually think that there's there's like a cycle in life where sometimes you have to take a step away from something in order to come back to it at a later point in your life. Is that something that you're maybe doing now, going back in more of a metal direction? Well, I've always been a huge fan of metal. It was, you know, that's what got me here to begin with. You know, seeing Kiss and Judas Priest back in the in, in the late seventies, and and knowing as a little kid, going, that's what I want to do. But but you know, there there's there's a lot of outside influence sometimes that that's that's hard to to navigate through, should I say? Um, especially when it sometimes back in the nineties or late 80s, 90s, 2000s, if you were to get signed to a major label, a lot of times what you had to begin with, by the time it went through the whole machine, it ended up being a, a considerably watered-down version of what you wanted it to be. Mm. Obviously, labels would always want to try to make something that was radio-friendly, or you know what I mean, so right. they, could, they, could, they could make their vehicle work and, and sell more albums. So... It was easy for me to get distracted a few times, or it wasn't even sometimes getting distracted. By the time it was finished, you're looking at it or listening to it going like, what happened? Yeah. Um, Are there specific records throughout your career that you're referring to? Well, there was a band um, I was in and that, that little people know about. I was um, in a band that started kind of as a hard metal punk type thing um, called American Murder. And um, obviously, this was before 9-11. 9-11 happened, and, and we were getting signed to Electra, so we switched the name to Epidemic. And and obviously, after multiple lawsuits from every other Epidemic band in the world, um, we, we went through the process and recorded. And it was considerably watered down by the time <laughs> it was finished. It was like, this doesn't sound anything like what we sort of started with. But it was a fun band. It was a great band, and it still had some teeth on it. But um, it just wasn't quite as raw, and and, and you know the, the message and, and being just heavy 
in general was kind of stripped down some. You know, obviously, I think the screen was sort of the same way. Um, at the time we got signed, um, they wanted more radio-friendly stuff, but that band actually started out with the concept of, I wanted every song to be nine minutes long. So right. <laughs> it wasn't radio-friendly by any means. And um, um, so it, it, that, that, that also kind of watered down and became a little bit more you know, radio-friendly, which... Um, I was still very happy with the album. Uh, you know, it, these things can happen. And, um, you know, I feel great about returning to my metal roots. And, and, you know, I definitely look back on the Racer X stuff and I look back on it with fond memories because being a 19, 20-year-old and moving to L.A. and being able to, to meet up with all these great players was, was pretty phenomenal. Let's talk about that. You're originally from, is it Indiana? Correct. Where in Indiana are you from? The, a small city called Vincennes, sort of southern southern Indiana, tri-state oh. area. Uh, I'm heading and, to Indiana tomorrow, actually, to visit my wife's family. But different part of the state, Fort Wayne, we're going to. Oh, yeah, you're up, you're up north. Yeah, yeah, she, she has family up there, so that's where she's from. All right. Cool. So, anyways, you arrived in L.A. at what age? Um, I was just just at the end of being 19. So I was looking at turning 20 about, you know, I think I got out here in August and um, my birthday's in February. So I landed out here in August and immediately met Paul Gilbert the first day I was here. I don't know if that was meant to happen or what, but it was pretty funny. And did you meet, you met him at GIT, was it? Yes, I actually walked in the GIT, and he was giving his graduation performance for his graduation credits, and he was actually playing the entire Street Lethal album with the band that recorded it. And I remember walking in, and the place was just packed to the to the you know, to, to the roof. And I, I tapped the guy next to me. I said, "How old is this guy?" And I looked at me and said, "He's 17." Wow! I, I immediately just thought. Man, I knew it. If I moved to L.A., everybody's going to be, like, way younger and way better. Uh, but uh, it was directly after that show that I walked right up to him and, you know, introduced myself. And uh, after that, you know, he started teaching me some. And it wasn't long after that that he gave me a tape Street Lethal and said, you want to come jam? <laughs> cool. And there were a lot of, like, kind of real well-known teachers at GIT. Uh, of course, Paul Gilbert went on to to teach there after um after you saw his recital and what like frank gambali did you ever have lessons or encounters with him absolutely i mean frank gambali you could walk down the hallways and frank would be in a room playing guitar like 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 you've never heard in your life at that point in time and you could walk directly across the hall and you would have scott henderson you have jeff berlin you have joe pass from wow. back in the day yeah. showing up while he was still alive it was it was an incredible time, to be honest with you. There it was for a guitar player coming from the middle of nowhere, you know, basically um, on a farm almost. Um, it was exciting times that, and, and having people from all around the world sort of convening there. And you've got to remember, this was pre-cell phones, so right. <laughs> right. Wow. And at that time, you know, GIT, I think. Uh, later on got to be known as more of like a rock place. But at that time, I mean, a lot of the teachers 
and people you're mentioning were were more jazz guys, right? Absolutely. I mean, it was it was fusion and jazz. You'd have the Holdsworth showing up, and and but I think there was the rock players were looking for that outlet to, to push the guitar into new frontiers, and um, so you had you know consequently you had a lot of people showing up in Hollywood that were in the rock vein. Um, obviously, Hollywood was also like sort of the epitome of the place you wanted to go if you wanted to really give your band a chance. So you had a lot of rock players showing up, but it wasn't—it was a lot of really heavy jazz guys playing there. Interesting. And you guys, Racer X that that is or was was signed to Shrapnel Records, which was run by Mike Varney. How well did you know Mike Varney, or maybe? Do you still know Mike Varney? Um, Mike's a great guy. Really, um, um, i got to give Mike credit for really pushing the, the, the guitar and, and trying to bring people who were pushing the guitar to the forefront. I didn't know Mike at all, but I knew of him because I had bought some of his records via mail order back when I was in high school. And, um, you know, I knew he was a guy who, who had his finger on uh, the pulse of, of great guitar players still know Mike he's, he's always an interesting guy to talk to and and um, but Paul had already had the deal for Street Lethal so I, I kind of came in through Paul and as far as the Racer X guys go Jeff and, and Scott and, and Paul for that matter are you still in, in contact with those guys absolutely absolutely I'm, I'm actually going um to um, record um, some some playing with Paul at his online school next week, and uh, I just performed with Jeff up at Tahoe for a big um, snowboard convention, and I talked to Scott and, and Juan, and you know, obviously, everybody has went on to the bigger bands from the Racer X thing. Scott being in Judas Priest, and Juan already being in the Mars Volta, and Paul with the Mr. Big, and Obviously, Jeff, even not as a singer, but as a, uh, an incredible drummer he is, played with Michael Schinker and, um, you know, the Dokken and, and or, or Don Dokken and um, Leslie West, Kenny Wayne Shepard. So yeah, Jeff was always this really inter- real interesting guy because he was like not only a singer, he, w- that was, he was a great singer in Racer X, but he was also a great drummer and had quite a career as a drummer, so. Yeah, when I when, when I saw him in Badlands, that's when I sort of was like, man, I had to, you know, because he was really a singer in Racer X, and rarely got behind the kit. But when I saw him play with Badlands, I was like, my God, <laughs> I had no idea how Jeff was. And when you did the Scream record, the the first one, Let It Scream, Ray Gillen and Jeff actually did some backing vocals on one track. How how well did you know Ray Gillen? Um, not, not super well, but enough to that, um, I obviously was a huge J.G. Lee fan. To me, Bark at the Moon was like a classic, iconic metal album. So Jeff being in Badlands, I got to see Badlands maybe nine or ten times. And, and, uh, obviously I, I even got to go to some rehearsals and him and, him and Ray would come by the studio and Ray was such a super nice guy that, 
you know, you'd meet him and talk to him and just kind of soft-spoken, and then you would see him live, and he would, it just didn't almost seem real when he opened his mouth and started to sing. It was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this coming out of this one dude. And, um, you know, it was very sad what happened at the end of the day, but right. uh, I tell you, you talk about a singer, that guy could really deliver. Definitely. Now, the band The Scream, I remember hearing like this buzz about you guys back in, I don't know, 1990. And I remember MTV asked Tommy Lee what bands he liked. And Tommy said, oh, The Scream. And then, of course, they took John Karabi from The Scream, right, to join Motley Crue. You feel if John would have stuck around with The Scream, there would have been more potential for that band? I think so. We, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, um, we were at the point where we were doing, we were doing pretty well and we had just gotten back from playing the Astoria theater in London and the, the reception in London was really pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but, but in the same sentence, already and myself, we're sort of hearing the musical change coming, you know, and, and, Juan was always interested in the, the, the new underground music coming up. And um, I think it would have fashioned the scream a little bit into more of a heavier. I think we would have transferred over into that heavier kind of grungy almost sound because we were really basically laying, sitting on the fence on it already. Yeah. Much in the same way that a band like Badlands was, you know? Correct. Correct. Or if you, if you go back and listen to early Alice in Chains demos, um, before they got signed, they were sort of on that fence, and then they found the, they found that sound, you know, that they they you know absolutely were great at, and and um, and then it, it it you know just the, the the ball rolled from there. But um, but yeah, I think it would have, and and you know, interesting story, which is funny, is uh, we were driving to one of one of the what would have been one of the last shows, and. Um, I'm driving with with the bass player Juan, and and we hear on the radio Motley Crue, uh, Vince Neil is is out of the band, right? And we're like, whoa, that's that's pretty big news, you know. And we get to the gig, and there's this big commotion out in the audience, and and we're we're like getting ready to go on. It's a pretty full club, and and we look, and it's it's uh, it's Tommy and Nikki. Right. And I remember already, and I looked at each other and goes like, um, <laughs> I wow. think I think we know what's going on here. So, but you know, we wish John the best of luck. That was an amazing gig, and those guys are icons. And you know, it it um it was what it was, and and they made an amazing album. And and you know, I, I wrote John not too long ago and told him that you know, no matter how the chips fell you did a great album with them. So. Definitely. Now tell me about the one band I don't know much about that, that you were with, uh, the bottom dwellers. Mm. What was that all about? Bottom dwellers. Um, that was at a time I actually had injured my hand sort of at the end of race Rex, And my hand injury had grown so bad around, Oh, I'd say, 1997-96 that I stopped and started producing albums and, and recording and mixing people. Um, so around 
three, I started really getting back into playing again. And for some reason, I was able to beat the injury, and, and my playing had come back full swing. And I met this group of guys, and one of the guys from the band is Dave Foreman, who plays the bass on, on the new record. Um, and it was a collection of... I. It's hard to say they they were like hip hop artists or almost or like like R and B people. You know what I mean? This was a whole crew of, of people that were doing playing on all these successful R and B albums and, and hip hop albums, and um, but they were really interested in in rock and, and heavy stuff. And they would hear me practicing next door to them, and just they'd be coming over, going like, "Oh wow, that you know, a loud fast guitar. We like that." And um, so we kind of hooked up and made an album and, and, um, you know, sometimes just, just, the the, the way fate is, um, it, it just, the whole thing fell apart, just collapsed internally. But the one record we made, I thought was pretty revolutionary. And one day I think it'll, it'll, you know, it'll make its way around and some, some people will probably hear more about it, but we had a lot of great people. George Clinton came and sang on some stuff. And wow. That's awesome. Busy Bones from Bone Thugs Harmony came in, and uh, we had a constant. It was the oddest time. I had a studio, um, but behind this sort of famous strip club in L.A. called the Star Gardens, which is a little place in the uh, in the valley, and um, we had a constant array of people coming through there that were just amazingly talented, and. You know, sometimes they'd stay for a week. You just never knew. And uh, really, the music the music that came out of that was, was pretty awesome. But once again, once currently when things, no, not enough funding or direction or management or anything, it, it definitely kind of imploded. Interesting. Well, I'm definitely going to have to check out some of Bottom Dweller's music. And of course, we have to talk about my my friend that I want everyone to know about yet. No one, not a lot of people know about him. Mr. Sean Baker. I mean, what an amazing player this guy is. And, uh, you worked on both of his records, correct? Absolutely. Um, met, met Sean, um, in the early two thousands when I was on tour with epidemic and, uh, he was a racer X fan from back in the day, obviously the guitar thing. And super nice guy. And I heard him play and I was just like, wow, dude, you, you can play, man. And, um, you know, we've kept in touch and, and I started mixing some albums for him and, you know, try to drop in a little solo or guest appearance. And, you know, just, just an all around great dude, great player. Great sense of melody he has too. You know, he can he play really fast and technically really well, but I always love the guy's sense of melody. That's that was the one thing that stuck out for me. I, obviously, throughout my life, I've heard a lot of people that could play fast stuff, but the thing that always like grabs me the most is like, like in Sean's case, he could write a song, and it was like, wow, I like your song, dude. And to me, that has a lot of weight. You know, he was the logical choice on these first shows that I did. Um, We've been talking about touring together, and it's time I just. I was talking to him and said, man, you know what? Instead of touring the two bands together, dude, you got to come and join up with me, man. We'll go on stage and we'll, we'll hit, we'll do a guitar. And, uh, and he did. And it was phenomenal. 
Excellent. So do you plan more live shows once the album comes out? Yes. I'm actually looking at a, a, a couple right now. Uh, a few shows were just kind of to test the waters. Obviously, um, it was my first ever solo shows. Um, I've always been in bands, so trying to handle all the logistics myself, I sort of tested the waters, but um, definitely um, a full a full year worth of touring is going to be following. Um, I'll have another album in the can ready to go behind it, and um, hopefully Europe, the Asia Pacific Rim, and the U.S. and Canada, and you know, Mexico, if I'm lucky enough, Australia. Wow. I got my sights set on all of them. Yeah, so. excellent. Well, we'll be there when you're in New Jersey or, or New York City, so definitely let us know <laughs> yeah. about that. Looking forward to For that. For sure. And one uh, one question. You won a Grammy, right, back in 2005? Well, it was it was during the we cut the track in 2004, but it was for the 2005 Grammys, and it was um, with the band Motorhead. And it was and, for your production work, right? Yeah, it was Motorhead actually won the Grammy. I, I produced and mixed and 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 um, um, recorded it um, with my friend Bob Kulik, who is also an amazing guitar player. And so those who don't know, he's played with Paul Stanley and Meatloaf and Alice Cooper. Great guy and Obviously, his brother Bruce Kulick was in Kiss. Yeah, he played. A lot of people say he played on like all of Side Four of Kiss Alive too, or most of Side Four, I should say. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard the uh, insider stuff on that. I don't know if I'm privy to, to completely talk about it, but I will say that the stories were very interesting. Right. And uh, and through that, also, I got to work with Paul Stanley on some of his solo stuff, and you know, sort of like fantasy camp for for. A kid who like first concert was yes in 1979. So yeah. we had a, we had an ongoing relationship with Lemmy and the bunch, um, you know Mickey D, and, and so it was it it was um, you know a one off track we were doing for a tribute album, and we thought if they could cover the Metallica song Whiplash, it would be it would be a shoe in because. If you listen to the song, Metallica in their early days were surely listening to Motorhead right. and, and, and you know, getting their influence. So I thought it was kind of a funny a funny way to bring it back around and, and have Motorhead cover the song. And, and they did. And working with Motorhead is, is always awesome. And, and they came in and cut it. And it was magic right out of the box. We knew it was, it was at least going to get some attention. And um, and it, it won the uh, Best Rock 2005, and we thought it extra funny because it was a very low-budget thing, and, and we did it in a very small studio at the time um, on some pretty rudimentary gear and go up against bands that have these huge label budgets and everything. We felt it a pretty, a pretty amazing victory. It sort of shows that it's about, it's about the vibe and, and, and the right band and the right, you know, just the magic in the room. So something that I liked, I thought, I thought it was great. I, I, uh, I will, I will definitely take that one to the grave. Cool. Cool. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been great hearing the stories and talking metal with you. We'll get this up, uh, probably within a week's time. Awesome, brother, man. I, I can't thank you enough, man. Awesome. Awesome job y'all are doing. And, and, uh, you know, I, 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 
got to call Sean up and give him a special thanks, too, for the hookup. You guys rule. Thank you. Thank you.
just heard was a little new Bruce Bouillet. Boy, Mark, what a great interview. I've always been a fan of his. And uh, speaking of Bruce, he, he does a lot of work with Sean Baker. And did you see the cool uh, picture that Sean Baker posted on my Facebook? It's him wearing the Talking Metal shirt live on stage. Yeah, that was at a concert, actually, with Bruce. So Sean's been doing some live shows with Bruce. So big thanks to Sean, actually, for wearing that shirt. And also for helping hook up this interview that we did with Bruce today. So thank you, Sean, and thank you, Bruce. Go support Bruce. We're going to end today's show in just... Got one bit of news, and then one today's show. KISS has teamed up with the Arena Football League, and now L.A. has a new team called the L.A. KISS. I heard that. Is it NFL? No, it's uh, AFL, Arena Football. All right. Professional football. (laughs) Professional football. There you go. Interesting. Bringing football back to L.A. KISS, Paul and Gene. And Tommy Thayer will be a KISS Expo, signing (laughs) signing autographs for $20. (laughs) For the first one, 10 for the second. Is that what it is? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy's been on Talking Metal, and I've worked with Tommy on uh, Kissology pro- projects. He's a great guy, definitely. And Ace likes him, too. Cool. Let's end with a little Bruce Bouillet, new Bruce Bouillet. This is The Order of Control. This episode of the Talking Metal Podcast has been sponsored by Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support this podcast and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash metal. Again, that's HuluPlus.com forward slash metal. Let everyone you know know about this offer. You can also go to TalkingMetal.com and click on the Hulu Plus banner. Guys, thanks for listening to this show today, and thanks for supporting us by supporting Hulu Plus.
This episode is brought to you in part by Purina. Purina is dedicated to creating richer lives for pets and the people who love them. From helping older pets think like their younger selves to making cat ownership a possibility for more people than ever, Purina is helping pets thrive so they can live long, healthy, and happy lives. Purina has you covered for all your furry friends' needs, whether they meow or bark. From litter to treats to their best-in-class, nutrient-packed food with taste your pets will love, Purina's got your back at every stage of your pet's life. Your pet gives you the joy of the spring sunshine all year round. So today and every day, care for your pet with Purina. Your pet is Purina's passion. To learn more, head to Amazon.com backslash Purina.